Good morning. What a delight and a joy it is to be here with you this morning. If I had a thousand hearts to give, Lord, they should all be thine. We come here this morning, none other than to see our risen and ruling Savior. We come to lift his name high. And I pray that you'll be praying for me, and I have prayed for you. I need the Lord's presence. I need his spirit. I come humbly before you with excitement, with, with love for you as my brothers and sisters. I come scared, knowing the gravity of this word. But understand that in order for us to grow in this love, we have to be instructed. Our minds have to be instructed. Our hearts have to be ignited. Our affections need to be refocused upon what is, what is true and what is real. And our will needs to be shaped into the will of, of the Father so that we can act in, out of love. Love can flow in action that we will, will, be, will be compelled to that this morning. Well, we have sung a lot about going home, about a faraway land. What a joy one day. What a, what a delight it will be to see that, that home. You know, that is yours right now. You can believe in that right now. By an eye of faith, you have seen and you have tasted that the Lord is gracious unto you that believe. This morning we will be in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I've come to love this passage and have over the last few months had quite some time to think about where John's heart was and, and what he was trying to get at in this passage. Do we know how blessed we are to be a child of God this morning? I pray that as we go through this that we will see what that really means and what that looks like in, in our lives. So let's read starting in verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Let us pray. Father, as we open your word, as we look into this council, 
Lord, we ask for the outpouring of your spirit upon these precious words to the children of God. Lord, and what it means to be a child of the family of God and how blessed, how highly favored we are. Lord, we come for just a little while to look into it, to reflect upon it, Lord, to, to make sure to examine our hearts, Lord, that our affections are in the right place. Father, to know that there is a love that you love and there is a love that you hate. And Father, we want to abide in the love that you love. Give us that love this morning for each other. May it grow, may it, it abound. And Father, may our love for you grow ever more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just if, if any of you have, have been under some of the teaching here in 1 John, you know John has been pretty much black and white to this point. He is a man of, of facts. He wants to get right to the point. We know that truth matters to John. He, he starts out in chapter 1 talking about Christ. We need to know who Christ is. We need to be instructed in sound doctrine. There are those that at this time were coming into church that were trying to dismantle the truth of who Christ was because they did not believe in his humanity. And we have those today that do the same. They may not outwardly say it, but they preach it. And he writes to us that we may know this joy and this union that we have in him and the fellowship of saints is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't mince words later in that chapter as he talks about sin. He says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the holiness of God. And the closer you are to this light, the closer you will be to acknowledging your sin. You will understand that you by nature are sinful and that you need the Father and that you need his son, Jesus Christ, his precious blood to make you perfect in him. In chapter 2, we talk, he talks about the commandments. The one that truly believes and knows this Christ, this God, will lovingly obey his commandments from a heart of love, not out of fear, but out of love. And he says that the one that abides, that says that he abides in Christ, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. But what I really want to get at initially before we get into our text is looking back at verses 7 and 8. Of course, John says in, in verse 12 that he is writing to us today as little children, but this right is, is mentioned several times in an emphatic nature. And he says in verse 7, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. So this commandment, what he's talking about is the commandment to love one another. The commandment, the old commandment was that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, when Jesus comes, 
He brings this commandment in a new, fresh way, a new depth, a new quality. There is meaning in this love, and Jesus Christ exhibited that love to his children, to his disciples, to those that he ministered to, to those that he healed. And he says, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in you, in him and in you today. And so this love that we are commended to, that the love that God loves is the love that his son, Jesus Christ, showed and poured out for you. That love is true in you right now, believer. It is a self-denying love, and it is a self-sacrificing love. And so if we are loving our brothers and sisters in the household of God, in the family of God, that is every believer from the youngest to the oldest, we are to exhibit this love one to another. And so as John comes now to our text, I think it's important to notice the tenderness in his writing. Because can anyone keep this love? Can anyone love as Jesus Christ loves perfectly? No. I can look at my own life and my failures in loving my, my spouse, my children, And yet, John says, I write unto you this morning. God's word is, is coming to you from the throne room of heaven. He's speaking to you this morning. He wants you to know that you've been forgiven of your sins. And this word right is a statement of fact. He is writing this to you right now. The Holy Spirit is speaking this to your heart, to your mind right now. I do need to point out this phrase, expression, little children, is different from the little children mentioned in verse 13. The little children in verse 12 means every believer. The little children in verse 13 really means a young child, a babe, a newborn in Christ. And so, as we've been commended to this love, that we should love our brother and sister as ourselves, and that we should love really ultimately as Christ has loved us, because that was the new commandment, that Jesus Christ came and from his own mouth said, as I have loved you, so love ye one another. And by this shall all men see that ye are my disciples if you have love one to another. That's what we're here for today. It's this love that compels us. And there's no end to this love. Why do we come every Sunday here to hear the preaching of the word? This love is so deep. It's so magnificent. It's so awe-inspiring. There can never be enough said about this love this morning. We must remember it and be commended to it. And as he says, I write unto you, little children.
It cannot be mistaken that John had a special love for children. This mentioned eight times in this letter. In one way or the other, he either says little children, brethren, or beloved. What a tenderness, what an affection he had for his, for his congregation, for every believer. And we too should have that. What he wants you to know this morning is that as the children of God, we need to find reassurance in his forgiveness. You think about a child and how young they are and how many times you may have to tell them to pick up their toys. But what about after you've gotten on to them, after they have done something wrong? Do they not need your reassurance that you love them? That even though their actions were displeasing, you have forgiven them. It's not, is that not what this is about? And this is personal for you and I today. And this is important for us. We need this reassurance as the children of God. Because just as a small child, we, we forget. We, we, we wonder. We tend to go astray. We need the reassurance of our Father. We need the reassurance that, that the blood that Jesus Christ poured out for us covered every sin. Not just one sin, but every sin. I ask this question, how can we find, how can we have confidence or find assurance in our salvation? Or conquer sin if we don't know we are forgiven? This morning. How can we, if we do not understand or fail to give time to comprehend the depth of this forgiveness... We will have no motivation to fight sin. We need to know that we are forgiven. Not to use his grace or forgiveness as a license to sin, but that it may drive us to love him more because he has loved us until the end this morning. The meaning of this forgiveness here used by John, that your sins are forgiven, that is every sin that means that they have literally been cast away. They've been separated from you. And what John says is you have been forgiven in the past. And you are forgiven right now. Currently in the present. And will be forgiven into eternity future, beloved. Once in Christ you are united to him. There is a separation of guilt and shame for sin because he remembers not the old self that you used to be. You've been given a new nature. You've been reborn. You've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Micah 7, 18 through 19 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. 
He will turn again. Why? Because he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And here it is. Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. All of our sins, beloved, this morning, if you believe by faith in this Jesus Christ, have been cast into the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. Find assurance, find reassurance in that. We must recognize that we still need to be put in remembrance that this forgiveness is different than ours, right? As human beings, as, as fallen sinners. Our forgiveness is often fickle. It's done begrudgingly. It's often against our will that we forgive. But he forgives with delight. Because he delights in mercy. And that's what forgiveness is, right? It is his mercy. When Jesus Christ forgives, there are no memories of the past that are there, as often there are when we forgive. You know, we tend to bring up the past. And if you say that you're not guilty of that, then you're a liar this morning, because everyone does that. And in a marriage with children. But it ought not to be so because we should forgive as we have been forgiven. And I know I need this. The forgiveness, my forgiveness is not like this. Again, not with my spouse, not with my children. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. As the family and children of God, we must forgive one another. We need to realize that this forgiveness is only made possible, it's only through the name of Jesus Christ. It's for his dear name's sake. One hymn we often sing, his precious name. It's his precious name, the hope of earth and joy of heaven. We know that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. But it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we must be saved. It is only in his name and for his sake which is for the sake of his glory. And he will not give his glory to another. As we previously talked about earlier in verses 7 and 8, this sacrificial love, as I have loved you, so love one another. The greatest example of love was what? Was when Jesus Christ went to the cross. And, you know, he did that willingly and demonstrated such a level of sacrificial love because he delights to forgive sinners. He delights to forgive you this morning. And he knew that the only way for God's wrath 
to be satisfied against us as we were enmity against him was to go to the cross and to pour out his blood, his precious blood that washes us whiter than snow this morning. It's for his name's sake, beloved. There was nothing good in us. You were not forgiven on the account of your family heritage or your pedigree or your education or your IQ. No, Christ went willingly to procure our redemption that we might have his righteousness and and to have forgiveness of sins. And so today, if you're coming in and you're struggling with sin this morning, which I'm sure that you are from, from this past week, from the trials, from discouragement, from work, it could be children, it could be a family member, it could be financial burdens. Remember and find reassurance that your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Every member of this family today, each one of you in this family, you children of God, needs this. I need it. Fathers and mothers need it. Young men and women need it. Teenagers and children need to remember this forgiveness. And we must remember that as the children of God, we must forgive others as we have been forgiven. Now, as John moves into this text further, he's going to break down in verse 13 this family of God and what a child of God means. We're going to look at chapter or verse 13 now where he says, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. Fathers here is a distinction for those that are more mature, those that are older in the church. And for you today, you certainly know that God is your Heavenly Father. But for you, this know here is is different, again, than from the known, the, the word know for the little children later in this verse. The word know here is, is more than a head knowledge, it's a heart knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. And you have grown up in the Lord here. And it has taken some time. And for us younger ones, it's beneficial for us to remember that spiritual growth and development takes time. But we must consider what John is is writing here. 
that he distinguishes you older ones because you have experienced God in greater depth and quality. That's a fact that John says. It's by your life experiences. Some of you here have experienced massive amounts of pain, trials, loss of, of loved ones, family members, the death of a spouse, of children, of best friends. But you know today that just as in the valley you have experienced God in the joys of life, in marriage, maybe in relationships, children, nieces, nephews, job success, reaching retirement. And God has been with you through them all today. You know that. You remember that. That as you get older, you know him who is from the beginning. Often we've heard the question is, what is your first thought when you think about God? For some of you that are older here, I would dare say that when you think of the holiness, the power, the mercy, the grace, the transcendent nature of God and who he is, that your mind and heart are overwhelmed by love, overwhelmed by joy, overwhelmed by awe and adoration for who he is, and who you've seen him to be in your life as the one who is from the beginning. He is your father, but you know him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have seen him high and lifted up in your life. And John wants you to know that. You are mature, but you have not arrived. No one has graduated from this. This love is an all-encompassing love. And Jesus Christ wants you to know that. As you grow up in Him, remember that you know this Lord. You would say, how has God been so good to me? He's lavished His grace and mercy upon me. And you have a greater understanding because you know the one who loves you is the one who holds the world in his hands, beloved. He's that one. Who has existed from the, before the foundation of the world, from before the beginning of time, has loved you, has known you. Every hair upon your head, every sin you've ever made, Every time you've rejected him. He knows where you are. In your older age. And he still cares for you today. <laughs> Psalm 90 verse 1. Through 2. It's a prayer of Moses. The man of God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. 
before the mountains were brought forth. Or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. For you today, the Lord is your dwelling place. He is home for you, beloved. This is the doctrine of God's eternality. His existence before all things. This no doubt is God the Father. But the hymn from the beginning, you must remember, in the first verse of this beloved letter, John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. This is also Jesus Christ. And again, John in his gospel speaks of Christ being with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. This is John's testimony. I have heard Him. I have seen Him. I have gazed upon Him. I have touched Him. And you by faith can say the same. You have not just taken a quick glance at this Savior. The word gaze here means to look at for a very long extended time. You have been mesmerized by his beauty and his splendor. You cannot comprehend his glory, but you're trying. You think of a, a bridegroom as he watches his spouse, his soon-to-be spouse, come down the aisle in all her beauty, in all her glory, in all her splendor. The bridegroom is mesmerized by her. He's captivated by her. You older ones, are you not captivated by your Savior? Did you not hold your gaze? Have you not handled him by an eye of faith? You know, when you're dating, you know each other fairly well, right? At least you think. What about when you first get married? It's, it's a little better. You know each other more. You're learning more. But what about 30 or 40 or 50 years of being together? Your knowledge and your experience of each other is far superior to when you met and when you first got married. And for you, for you, this is Jesus Christ in your eyes. And this captivation you have will always be there. It is ever growing because you are ever learning. In marriage, you're still learning about each other, right? You're never done learning. And that's the beauty of marriage. And the beauty of the marriage relationship to Jesus Christ 
is that we're never done learning about Him. Because you know in your heart of hearts that you know the one who is from the beginning. Because the love of her inner beauty, the love of his beauty, his splendor, your captivation of him will always be there. It will remain steadfast because why? You know there is nowhere else or in any other person you can find this kind of love. But it is only in him. And so it is for you and should be for all of us with Christ. And lastly, you know what the world has to offer. You've worked, you've toiled, you've bought nice things, you've had a nice house, you've had a nice car. But it's not enough, right? Let's turn to Philippians 3. As we move, as we before we moved to the young men, Philippians three, we'll start reading to verse seven. I think every mature believer here, you can say this. But those things were gained. But that what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, here it is, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, or either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is Christ. And for you, you have won his affection. You have won his gaze. You have won his love. So no matter what happens as you continue to get older, as, as trials may come with health, whatever it may be, you do know him. He's your resurrected Savior. You were baptized into his sufferings and into, into his death. You have been conformed into his image. And the one you thought you had figured out continues to amaze you. He passionately pursues you. And the only thing you can do is relinquish such vain and petty love for the world in order that you may win Christ. Brethren, you need this. I need this. We're all in this family together. 
and in need of, pre of preparation to keep our affections on things above and not on things of the world. To our young men next. John says, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. In this body of believers, the next generation here among us is, is the young men, is the young women. They're the ones that we are preparing to leave the nest, preparing to go out into the world and fight the world system. The older ones have fought the battles. They are strong in doctrine. They know the Lord. Now for you young people, there's work to be done. Our heading here is prepare for battle by letting the word of God abide in you. You have to get there to be there, right? The older ones that are here among us, they, they didn't just arrive at this knowledge. They didn't just arrive at, at this, this wisdom they've been given by the Lord. They've been in the word. Their faith has been tested. And yours will be too as you get older. And you need to be preparing because there's a world out there that does not want you to know about Jesus Christ. He does not want you to know the truth of this word. They want to, it wants to keep you under its hold, in its grip, under its control. It wants you to believe its truth, which is a lie. There is only one source of truth, and it's in this word. And in order to fight the world, you need to be in this word today. John makes it clear here that you are strong. It's a statement of fact. You are physically strong. Enjoy it while it lasts. Enjoy working out at the gym. Enjoy your physique because it doesn't last. I can say that. But this is more than physical strength. John here speaks more of spiritual endurance. So while young men and women, you might be physically fit and strong, Listen now and take heed, John says. If you give time to your natural body, how much more should you give to your spiritual growth and development? Just as in basketball, we have a lot of basketball players here. I played when I was younger. No team that is in poor shape ever performs well. Just look at their record. Their defense is not good. They're out of shape. They get out easily. You need endurance to face what the world is going to throw at you. That's why sports have the, are good and they have their place. They, they train you physically. But your mind and your heart need to be trained spiritually by the word. John will later say in verse 14, we'll attach this and repeat himself, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. You might be asking, how do you develop spiritual endurance? 
Well, you know Christ has overcome the war. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus Christ has won the war. He's paid the price. He has defeated death in the grave. The power of sin and the penalty of sin have been removed, but the presence of sin has not. Young men, how are you going to overcome in battle on a daily basis? For you to understand this, sin has to be real to you. You have to have an understanding that it is real and that there are consequences for sin. You need to have an understanding of its power and you need to know your weaknesses. That you still need time, that there still needs to be time and attention to this because the presence of sin is still here and will always be here and preparation for battle is needed. But John gives you the answer. He gives us the answer. You develop spiritual endurance and you overcome presently by letting the word of God abide in you. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Would my whole heart have I sought thee? Oh, let me not wonder from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I, may, that I might not sin against thee. Abiding in the word is a must. John again is clear and distinct. The word abides in you. It's present tense, active. You young men and women have been brought up in the church. What a blessing. What a privilege. But you need to be in the word. And in order for it to be there, you need to be under the preaching of the word. You need to be paying attention to it. You don't need to let it go in one ear and out the other. Take those thoughts captive when you are tempted to daydream. Take notes on the sermon. Do your daily devotions with passion and determination. And if you do that, you are hiding the word you hear. The word will take hold of good ground in your mind and in your heart if you take that precaution. So again, if physical nourishment is important to you, and obviously it is, I've seen you guys eat, okay? You have massive appetites. Just as you feed your physical body, the nourishment of natural food, you need to take time to feed your mind, heart, and soul the nourishment of God's word. And this takes work, and this takes effort. And I can say, when I was a young man, I neglected this. And I think there's others here that probably could say the same. If you neglect it, Satan will send a temptation to you in your moment, and in your moment of need. If that abiding word is not in you, 
you will not be able to overcome in that moment. Young men and women, you need to be in Ephesians 6. Get in the Word. Put on the armor daily. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And go on the offensive for once. Let the living Word abide in you. For only it can root out the issues of sin, of your, of, of your heart. Only the Word can crush your pride and your self-esteem. And the world wants to build all of that up. So that your affections will be upon it and not upon this word. Young men and women, remember you are also an example to your younger siblings. Show them how to read the word. Demonstrate you know how to discern between right and wrong. Because just as you watch us older ones, if you have younger siblings, they are watching you. They are taking note of what you do with your time. So we move on to our young children for a moment here. John says, I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. To our kids, to our young children, rejoice you know the Father. We know that little children are special to John. He mentions little children at least eight times in this short epistle. God tells God says in, in, in Jeremiah 31 that they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. And yet I think at times we, we can overlook these little ones, right? But they were precious in the eyes of Christ. And it is given to them to know the Father. We know that Psalm 8 too says that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength. Because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. The little children were dear to Jesus Christ. In Matthew 8, when Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said in the next chapter, Matthew 19, 14, But Jesus said, Suffer, little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Faith, as of a tiny mustard seed, grows exponentially when it is nurtured and watered. The weeds are tilled. It is out of the mouth of babes to proclaim that they know God as their Heavenly Father because the Spirit has revealed that to them. And we can rejoice in that today if your child is a believer, if he has come to know Jesus Christ, if he knows the Father. 
Because not everyone knows the Father, right? Just in some of these passages, Jesus had rebuked the Pharisees who had an outward profession of righteousness, but inward they were full of dead men's bones. And yet a small child can know who God the Father is. That is only done by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can learn from our children, from these little ones. They are full of grace. They are quick to forgive. Extremely loving and loyal. They just need to be nurtured and fed the milk of the word to grow. But nonetheless, they know the Father. They don't know every detail. But yet, when they say, when you hear them, when, they, when you hear their prayers, as I have heard my own child at night call God his Heavenly Father. I've told him about the Lord. But it's only the Spirit that can make him know that. But what amazement they have at God's bigness. His grandeur. They're overwhelmed and blown away by the fact that he's everywhere. That he's made all things. And that there are three gods, three, three persons in this God. And I remember pretty vividly when I Acknowledge that I wanted to go before the church and be baptized, that we were going home one night from night service, and I looked up into the sky and saw the stars in heaven. And I asked Mom, I said, Mom, God made all those that he made me too. But the stars are his handiwork. And he has made us in his image. And he delights in that today. And children are a heritage. And if they know the Lord, we can, we can rejoice. Because you know what? There's no education they can have that will trump that. Their athletic ability can't touch that. What the world deems false and foolish, these small children have a love and a tender affection for because they know the Father. So children, I urge you today to continue to learn and be encouraged today in the Father whom by saving grace you have come to know. As I close... And we have to look at verse 14. As John says, I have written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. 
Why would John repeat himself in verse 14? The tense of the verb is different. Often like as if he wants you to acknowledge that you've been written to. It's almost like the Holy Spirit said to John, Good John, you've said it once, now say it again. I think it's important though. We shouldn't diminish this fact. Because there's nothing in this Bible, there's nothing in this word that does not have divine influence. Why would he write it again? What if we didn't hear it the first time, right? Is it easy to forget? What about men? What do we have to say for ourselves? And how little we pay attention and listen. Young men, what about children in general? Easy to forget? I think John has a, has a, a purpose in this. That we need to learn from each other. And persevere together in this love for Christ that he wrote about earlier in this chapter. We can know that no matter where you are in your spiritual growth and development, you're never too old or too young to learn. And remember that we're heading in the same goal. We're minding the same thing. Ephesians 4 says that there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all and through all and in you all. And we are all growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I exhort you fathers. Remember the dependency of children. And as they exercise their dependence. You should as well as you get older remember that you are utterly dependent upon the father. Young men. Remember that spiritual growth takes time. Cultivate it. Be in the Word. Learn from your earthly fathers, from other men in the church who have demonstrated and given time to grow and learn. Learn from their example, from your mother. Titus 2.6 says, young, man, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Children, Learn from your older brothers and sisters by growing in discernment. Continue to be in the Word. Learn about the characters of the Bible. And lastly, to us all in this family of God as, as His children, the forgiveness we've come to know and to realize that is for His name's sake should compel us to persevere in our love for Christ and relinquish your love for the world. You know, we have a wonderful family here in this body of believers. What a blessing it is to be a part of this assembly. I love each and every one of you. What a blessing it is to be his children. And we're called into this love to know him, to realize that we have overcome. We need to remember that. 
that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. But we need reminding, and often, that no one has arrived, no one has reached his full state of perfection, or ever will in this sense of, of this life. So be encouraged to fight the good fight of faith. Stay the course. Continue in what you have learned from the beginning of your Christian walk. Don't give in to the world. As John moves to verse 15. There is a love that God loves and there is a love that God hates. Don't give in to the world. Persevere as Christ did for you. John 13, 1 says, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. He persevered against all death. He has loved us to the uttermost, to the end of it all, time, eternity. Persevered against Satan, against all the affliction he endured, all the anguish he suffered, all the pain he felt was not enough to persuade him not to go to the cross for you, beloved. And if you believe that today, you will persevere against the love of the world.